Amen. Thank you very much. Boys and girls ages four years old through the fourth grade, if you will, please head out. Children's Church, four years old through the fourth grade. There they go. Don't you wish you were four years old again? <laughs> no, I don't either. If you wish you could be younger, now think with me, please. Whoever you are, whatever your age is, okay, well, let's have fun. If you wish you could go back in time and age until you were a certain age. Now think before you answer, because you might change your mind in five minutes. To what, age, to what age would you like to go back to? How old would you like to be if you could start all over? Let me think on that one, too. You ready? Say it together. The only one I heard was five. My number was 25. How many of you were somewhere between five and 25? Let me see your hand. Most of you? 25 and 50. Nobody? Let's get on with the message. Take your Bibles, please. How about 50 to 75? Nobody wants to be above 75? Don't talk to me about that. Uh, turn your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 1. We're all on the fives now. Ephesians 1. Preaching through the book of Ephesians now on Sunday morning primarily. And we've seen that the longest verse in the Bible, maybe in history, is verses 3 through 14. And would you notice again, please, the verse begins, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In the verses that follow, we see a listing of several of these special blessings. Not all of them. Just several of them are listed in verses 4 through 14. And we saw last week that all of those things are for those and only for those who are in Christ. Because in Christ is a key phrase in Ephesians. In Christ is a key phrase in chapter 1. And in Christ is a key phrase in verses 3 through 14 found several times. So it's the, the blessings that are listed here are for those who are already in Christ. You can be in Christ if you choose to be. It's not that hard if you want to be saved. A Philippian jailer cried out one night to two missionaries, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they did not say join the First Baptist Church of Philippi. They did not say turn over a new leaf in your life. They did not say uh, start treating your mother-in-law correctly or your father-in-law, whatever it might be, okay? They didn't say stop, stop this and start that. They said one simple thing. Paul and Silas said, believe, say it with me, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Simple trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his work upon the cross and his resurrection brings salvation. And you can be in Christ. And all of the blessings in this chapter are for you. These are blessings for those who are in Christ. And we also notice that it's all, they're all there. We have them all for the praise of God's glory. So we're looking at some special words, some of these special blessings. And we saw the first one last Sunday morning. It was found in verses 4 and 5. The word was election. Election. According as he hath chosen us, there's the key word, God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And we saw the message predominantly three things. Number one, God has selected out of a number... Those who would be saved even before the foundation of the world. But remember, in case you were not here, along with divine election, we also believe in this thing called the, together, the 
the free will of man. They're found in the same Bible. God selects, but God selects also. But man has a choice, and we're responsible for that choice. We said enough about that last week, not to have to go over it again, okay? We saw also that God has selected us. Everyone who's been selected is not just selected to stay out of hell and have eternal life. We have been selected that we might, the verse says, we might be holy and without blame before him in love. And that basically the idea there is that God wants us to be Christ-like. God wants us to live holy lives. God wants us to be separated. God wants us to be, in fact, this is really, as we said, it's justification, salvation, but it's also sanctification. It has to do with our position in Christ and then our, the experience, the practical living of our Christian lives. That's what God wants us to be. And this morning we want to look now at the second and third words. Uh, found in this passage, second and third spiritual blessings, and we look at them both because they go together. One word is the word predestination, and the second word is the word adoption. So we have election or selection, and then we have the word uh, predestination, and they have the word adoption. We have to look, I believe, at, um, we don't have to, but I've chosen to look at predestination and adoption together not just because they're found <coughs> right here in these same verses, but also because these two doctrines go together, these two things go together. Would you look, please, at verse 5? In fact, I think it would be good to read 4 and 5 together again. According as, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, then verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So God says here in the word that he has predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Now there are some things that we do not know about the doctrine of predestination. There's a lot of confusion about predestination. And there are many things that we simply do not know. There are other things that are known in the scriptures, but I hate to say this, but it's just the way it is. All good men, and I say good men, conservative, fundamental, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible scholars and pastors and missionaries and evangelists and authors and so forth, they don't all agree on all the, the meanings and the details regarding predestination. You can get into some wonderful, fun-loving discussions and then some arguments which aren't too fun-loving, okay? So all men do not see the same thing about every area of predestination. There are some things we don't know. There are some things we don't all agree on. But what I want to say this morning is, look, we're not going to focus on the things that we don't know. Amen? What a waste of time. And we're not going to focus on the things that even good men disagree on. Why do that? You say, well, that would really be interesting. That's for a separate Bible study sometime, okay? That's not for preaching the message this morning. What I want to do this morning is take a look at the Bible and focus on the things that we do know about predestination. So first of all, we'll ask some questions. What is predestination? And really, before we even say what it is, um, we must all agree on that there is such a thing as predestination. If I said, do you agree that there is predestination? You better raise your hand. You can't say, well, I don't know about that. You can't say, well, this is how I think. No, it's just, is there such a thing as predestination? In fact, could be now. Is there such a thing as God predestinates? And the answer is yes. I mean, there is predestination. Say, how do you know? Did we read the verse again? Shall we read it again? Having God, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. God did predestinate us. 
Whatever that means, whatever you want to believe about it, we have to at least start here. There is predestination by God in the Bible. It's a good thing. It's a good word. Because some people say, and this is so much the general thinking today in our world. Uh, listen, what, no, I don't believe that stuff. Just whatever happens, happens. Just like happenstance. It's just, if you're lucky, fine. If you're, if you're not lucky, so be it. This is all chance. Just whatever will be, will be. I mean, it's just like whatever happens, happens. And who's to say? I was watching a little video, a video this past week that someone has put out, and it has to do with the idea of uh, preferences, has the idea of personal choice. It's a huge thing in the world today, and it is big time in the United States of America, and it kind of goes like this. No one really knows what's right and what's wrong. And nobody is really supposed to decide what is right and what's wrong. Because what is right for someone can be wrong for somebody else. And what is wrong for somebody can be right for somebody else. So it doesn't matter what the topic is, what the subject is, what it is you're discussing or debating. Let's just get serious about it. There is no such a thing. It's called basically relativism, okay? It's just like whatever you choose to believe is right is right. Whatever you choose to wrong, believe is wrong is wrong. It depends on the situation, depends on the circumstances, depends on how other people feel about it. So you just go on through life believing what you want to believe. That sounds good. It's just not true. It's just not true. There is such a thing now as predestination, whether you want to believe it or not. It's, and life is not just a matter of, well, whatever happens, happens. Secondly, this morning, everyone has to agree on the meaning of predestination. You may not know all the details about it. You may disagree with somebody else on some details. But everybody has to agree on the meaning of predestination as it's found in the Bible. If you want to know what the word means, the simplest thing to do is get out a Greek concordance. Look up the word predestination, Ephesians 2.5. I use Strong's Concordance, and you just look it up, and this is what you're going to read, okay? The word comes from two Greek words. The first word is before, and the second word means to mark out, to decree, to declare, to ordain, to determine. So when you hear that word predestination, that God has predestinated somebody or something, you say, I know that that's true because that's what it says, but what does that mean? Well, remember again, predestination, Greek language, New Testament, comes from two words. The first word is before. You've got to have that. That's the pre part, predestination. So it's before. And again, I want to give it to you word for word. It is before. And then secondly, to mark out. God marks out. God decrees. God declares. God ordains. I think probably the best word is God determines. So really, what is predestination? That's, those are the two words the Greek word comes from. This Greek word, therefore, means to limit in advance, to predetermine, to ordain, or if we could put it this way, to determine before. Now, we have to agree on that. Now, listen, folks. God does determine some things before they happen. And if you agree with that, say amen. If you don't agree, please don't say I don't agree. You have to agree. God does determine some things before they happen. That's just the way it is. Well, thirdly this morning, in fact, I, I like what uh, 
I like what Dr. Schofield says here in his Bible. He says, this is his definition. He says, predestination is that effective exercise of the will of God by which things before determined by him are brought to pass. Let me read that again. Dr. Schofield in the Schofield Reference Bible. Predestination is that effective exercise of the will of God by which he predetermined by which things predetermined by him are brought to pass. Now, I don't think the main thing in that definition is are brought to pass. I think the main two words are before determined. But it is a fact that, listen now, what God determines does come to pass. We have to agree on that. God doesn't determine something and it never comes to pass. God doesn't ordain something or declare something or decide something ahead of time, but then it doesn't come to pass. God predestinates. God predetermines. By the way, there's an excellent illustration of this. I think the clearest illustration would be in, let's go to Acts 27, I believe it is. Go to Acts 27. Just a little simple illustration of predestination. God determining something ahead of time. And of course, it happened. Exodus, excuse me, Acts, Acts chapter 27. I got the wrong, I got the wrong place. Acts chapter, I think it's 4 or 5. Maybe it's verses 27, 28. Go back to Acts 4. Go back to Acts chapter 4. Yes, chapter 4, verses 27, 28. Peter and John have been threatened by the Jewish authorities. They've been let go. They go to their own company. Verse 23. They've been told, look, don't you preach or teach any more in the name of Jesus. We don't want to hear about it. Just shut your mouths. Get out of here. But if you stay around, no more preaching, no more teaching about this Jesus of Nazareth. No, we don't want to hear that. And if you do, you got a major problem. Number 23. And being let go, they went to their own company, their fellow believers, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did, the, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Look at 26. The people of the earth, or the kings of the earth, stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now here's the two key verses. You see predestination? For of a truth, it's true, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, verse 28, for to do, what did they do? For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel, next two words please, out loud. Determine before to be done. Do you understand what they said as they're praying? They said, Lord, the people of Israel, the Gentiles, they have gathered together. And look what they've done. They've crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? They made a terrible mistake. No, they didn't make a mistake. Why did they choose to do that? Why did that happen? For to do whatsoever Thy hand, God, your hand, and thy counsel, God, your counsel, hath determined before to be done. What do you mean, determined before? That's the same Greek word as the word in our text, predestinated. 
You predestinated that. You chose before the foundation of the world. You determined, you ordained, you declared that before the foundation of the world, there would come a day when your son on this earth would be crucified at the hands of wicked men. Now, we have to all agree on that. That's just Bible. And by the way, if you will, please go to Matthew 16. Thought about this again yesterday morning, having prepared the message, of course, before yet. Well, I shouldn't say, of course, not always, but at least this week, prepared before Friday, before Saturday. But I read in Matthew chapter 16 something that thought about and made me think about the message this morning. Look at Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? Big feast, big party, wonderful time? No. And he must suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. That's going to happen, Jesus said. He begins to tell his disciples. And he says, it also says he also told them that he would be killed. And what? Finish it. And? Be raised again the third day. That, 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 that was all predetermined. And you can read your gospel, read the four gospels, and you will see that over and over and over again. Jesus said things like, my time has not yet come. My time is not ready. And there came a time when he began to, 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 to shift, so to speak, or to change what he was talking about with his disciples. And more and more he started talking about the fact that there was going to come a time soon when he would go into Jerusalem he would be betrayed, he would be denied, he would be arrested, he would be convicted, he would be crucified, and he'd rise again. Say, so what is this all about? Why? Because God had predetermined that. God had planned that ahead of time, and that's why we have the passage we have back there in Acts chapter 5 when the disciples are praying to the Lord, saying, Lord, what all happened has happened because you, you predetermined it. You predestinated it. It's all happened. And the Lord Jesus said, it's going to happen. Now, they said, it just did happen. By the way, there's something else we all have to agree upon regarding the subject of predestination. You can't disagree on this. God has predestinated that those who are saved are to be Christ-like in their position and in their conduct. Would you go please to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8. God has predetermined this. He has determined it. He has declared it. He has ordained it ahead of time. Romans chapter 8. And would you look please at verse 48, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate. Look at this now. He did for, for those who did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. For whom God did foreknow, he did predetermine, he predestinated that what? that every single believer would be conformed to the image of his son. What is that talking about? That's talking about not only being in Christ, but that's talking about being Christ-like. God wants us to be Christ-like. That's his will. That's his plan. That's what he predestined. That's what he predetermined. And we should be like him right now. Amen? And we can be like him right now. One day, we will be like him for sure. 
Would you go please to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? You say, I get tired of turning around in my Bible. That's why you come to church, folks. Be ashamed to go to church and hear a message and never talk about the Bible. Guys do that, by the way. Go to church and hear a whole message and never, never, never don't even need a Bible to go to church. Don't ever, if you have a Bible, never, never open it. Sometimes that's okay if the pastor quotes the verses, and most of these I could quote, but I, I want you to look at them. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and notice, please, if you will, at verses 17 and 18. Now, the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of our Lord. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory. What's that all about? Being more and more Christ-like. If you haven't seen it, you need to see Dr. Jim Berg's video series on changed into his image. We have shown it several times in Sunday school class this year. We've shown it in, in youth meeting. We, we've studied it. It is a powerful, powerful biblical presentation of everyday sanctification, spiritual growth, growing in Christ-likeness, becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ as God has predetermined that we would be. Not just when we die and are in heaven, but between our salvation and our glorification that we might, while we are on this earth, be growing more and more Christ-like, being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. That should be a tremendous desire that we have. Now, would you go, please, to 1 John chapter 3? 1 John chapter 3, because one day, as I said, we will be most certainly changed into his image, and it will be perfect. We're never going to be perfectly Christ-like while we're here. Amen? We ought to be, try to be. We ought to want to be. It's, what, it's God's plan for our life. But we know that there will come a day when we will be totally changed into Christ's image. We will be Christ-like in reality. Perfect like Christ. In our position now, in our standing, we are as holy as Jesus. We'll talk about that again in the message next Sunday morning, the Lord willing. If we have been justified, if we've, got, if we've been declared forgiven of our sins and we have eternal life, then we have the righteousness of Christ. He took our sin upon him, and in salvation, he took his righteousness, and he imputed that, he gave that to us. That's Bible. And therefore, we are separated, we are holy in him, but we don't always live holy lives. Now we come to 1 John chapter 3, and look at the first three verses. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, finish it with me please, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you think, ever think about that? We know, that's a key word in 1 John, Know without any doubt whatsoever. We know there is coming a time when we shall be like Christ, for we shall see him as he is. Brother, uh, what's your name, Brian? Brother Brian mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. In fact, mentioned this verse. There's going to come a day when we will be like Christ, when, we'll be, when we, we will actually see him. You don't see him now. One day we will see him, and when we see him, we will be like him. You know why? Because God has predetermined that. 
say he did? Yes, yeah, what our text says. Being predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. Go back to Ephesians, in fact, if you will. Go back to Ephesians. Because there's something else in that, those verses we just saw in 1 John. Twice in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, we were told that we are sons of God. We're sons of God. He starts out, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And then later on he says, Now, now we are the sons of God. And that takes us to our next word in Ephesians. We have election. We have predestination. Now we have the word adoption. Back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So everyone has to agree that predestination, that God predetermined that every believer at the moment of his salvation, listen now, would be adopted into the family of God. And all of God's people said, amen. Some of you were adopted physically, your family. Both of our children are adopted. You know that? Todd's adopted. I don't know. I think we got Todd when he was, I'm just guessing, maybe five weeks old. Darla, she here? Yeah, Darla usually comes to church, okay? Darla, is for those visitors, she's always in church, okay? Um, she was adopted when she was four weeks old, maybe. I've said this before, but uh, I remember when, when Todd, when we got word that Todd, we could adopt Todd, we were at the Wilds Christian Camp in North Carolina. When I got the phone call, that uh, our baby boy had been born, and we could adopt him. In fact, I told people, you want to know, how, you wanna know listen, I, I married a Wonder Woman. I said, my wife, hey, listen, I'll tell you something. The day our first child was born, my wife went down a super slide at the wilds. <laughs> you been in the wilds? They got a slide that goes all the way down this mountain. It used to end up in a creek, cold creek, big creek, freezing creek down this thing 60 miles an hour, across this thing in, in this creek. And then they changed it, and they had to end up in a big, huge swimming pool. I like that better. So I tell people, hey, my wife's a wonder woman. I'll tell you what, the day that our son was born, she went down the wilds super slide. And they all go, whoa, cool, man, cool. Teenagers, yeah, that's cool. No, <laughs> and then I say, uh, we adopted our son. Oh, yeah, okay, I got that, okay. I don't know what we were doing. when I, I know where I was when I got the phone call from Darla. I was in my, I was in my office. The lady called and said, we want you to come down and see this beautiful, beautiful baby girl. And we had a nice little talk on the phone, okay? So my son's adopted. My daughter's adopted. I wasn't adopted. I was born Larry Jack Carsey's, December 7, 1944. My dad's name was Harold Robert Carsey's. My mom's name was Nellie Hilda Carsey's. And I was born in Blodgett Hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's me. But I was adopted one day into the family of God. And if you are a Christian today, there was a day when you became a member of the spiritual family of God. That God chose, we'll see that moment, God chose to adopt you. And this is why he said, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace. So let's look at that in the time that we have left. How do you get adopted into the family of God, pray tell? How do, you, how do you get into God's spiritual family? There's only one way. John 1, 10, 11, and 12. Listen closely. Speaking of Jesus. He was in the world. 
And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's only one way to get into the family of God. There's only one way that you can be, be born again and be a member of God's spiritual family with God as your heavenly father. And all that means, and the only way, is to, we're back where we started, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. To those who received him, to those who believe on his name, God gives the authority, the power to become the sons of God. And now we can call God our father. That's why when we pray, we begin our prayer with heavenly father. Would you turn please to uh, the book of Romans again? Go to Romans chapter 8. We were in Romans 8 earlier. Go back to Romans 8. Some really good verses on the subject of adoption. Don't have to preach time to preach through them, but at least, at least read them. Romans chapter 8. When you think of the biblical term adoption, being placed into the family of God as really, I could go into detail here, the, word is, the Greek word is huios, and that's like full adult sons. In Greek and Roman culture, when you were just a little boy growing up, you were really no different than a servant. You had no more privilege, so to speak. You had no inheritance. You were just like everybody else around here. And then there came a day when your dad would take you down to the city. There'd be the ceremony, and you would become officially adopted as an adult son. And now you have the right to the inheritance. I mean, hey, that's a big deal. Look at Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of adoption, excuse me, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself, or literally the spirit himself, he bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. Hey, you got a heavenly father that's got more money than this Jeff, what's his name? Bezos, Bosos, or something like that. What's his name? Yeah, whoever. Who owns, what's he own? Amazon? Am I thinking right? Okay. Who's the guy that owns Facebook? Zuckerman, Zuckerberg, something like that. Oh, oh back, I, I can relate, relate, relate better to um, the guy that owned uh, Walmart. What was his name? He died. Yeah, Sam Walton. Say, man, I wish, I wish. There was a time, there was a time, man, probably what, 30 years ago, when five out of the ten wealthiest people in the world were their last name all started with Walton. And you say, yeah, when I read that, I wish my name was Walton. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, whoever there is out there that's got a whole lot of money and you wish he was your dad, just remember, please, as a Christian, predetermined by God to be adopted in the family of God at salvation, God himself became your father, and you are a partaker of not only the divine nature now, but you have the inheritance that Jesus Christ has. That's a whole lot better than Walton and all these other guys. And that's just Bible. That's what he says here. If heirs, if ch and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, we may be glorified together. Would you go please quickly to Galatians chapter 4. There's another key. There are so many I could go to. I've just chosen a couple. Go to Galatians 4, and then we'll go right back to our text. 
Galatians chapter 4, and look at the first seven verses. First seven verses. When you think of adoption, that God has predetermined before the foundation of the world that his people would be conformed to the image of his son and would be adopted into his family. Galatians, you've got to think of Galatians 4, the first seven verses. Now this I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, did I already tell you this? He differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. He can be the firstborn son. He's got everything coming from his dad. No, he's a little child. He's no different than a servant. But he is under tutors and governors. Really? Yeah. Until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, even so, likewise so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive what, folks? Read it. We can read the adoption of sons. We can be the adoption of sons. What a wonderful doctrine. You know why? Because God predestinated that. And because you are sons, verse 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, saying, Abba, Father, Daddy. Verse 7, wherefore thou art no more a what, folks? We're not a servant, but we're a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And all of God's people said, we don't have much time left. So go back to Ephesians, if you will, chapter 1. Let's go back to our text and finishing up with some things that we really have to agree about. We do have to agree on now regarding adoption and the fact that God predetermined this thing called adoption. There are some things we have to agree on. Just quickly, please, if you will. First of all, everyone must agree that God hath predestinated us unto adoption because of his love. It's all because of the love of God. Look at verse 4 and 5 again, please. According as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. You say, well, pastor, we have, this is a problem. How can you say it has anything to do with the love of God? Because the love of God is mentioned in verse 4 and adoption mentioned in verse 5. Could I ask you a question? Did the original writers put those numbers in there? Did they break up the verses? No. Did the original writers do all the punctuation? No. Now listen, I personally believe that the in love or in love of verse 4 actually goes with verse 5. If you do fine, if you disagree, that's fine. It won't make any difference. It's all true anyway. But our predestination is, look, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him. I believe it starts then in love having, because having does connect, in love having predestined us unto the adoption of children. Whatever it was because of the love of God. Dr. Harry Ironside, this is not the Ironside TV guy, the detective guy in the wheelchair, okay? Dr. Harry Ironside, who was for many, many years the pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. He's written some wonderful commentaries, very practical commentaries on most of the books of the Bible, especially the New Testament. This is what he says in this passage. He says, predestination is a manifestation of the love of God. That is a good statement. Predestination to adoption 
is a manifestation. It's a revealing. It's a putting out in the open the love of God. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The manifestation of God's love is that he loved the world so much he sent his only begotten son. And then there's Romans 5, 8. But God hath commended or demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, finish it, Christ died for us. What's the manifestation, the revealing, the, the setting out in, in public? What's the manifestation of the love of God? He says, here it is, Christ. He died for our sins. That's the love of God. And in Ephesians, we say, well, how do we know that God really loves people? How do we know that God really loves his own? Because in love, he predestinated us to adoption, to be in his family. Also this morning, we must agree that God predestinated us, he predestinated our adoption according to his own will, not somebody else's. Look at it again, Ephesians 1, verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. What does will mean? Choice, desire. You know why God adopted me? He willed to. You say, well, I think I willed it myself. No, no, you don't will this be yourself. God willed this. God did, God did the choosing. God did the predestinating. God did all the adoption. And it was because of his will. And darling, you can relate to this. She didn't exercise her will to choose me, to choose my wife. We chose her. We willed her to be a part of our family. And all I can do is read the Bible. You want to disagree with this? Help yourself. I can just read the Bible. It says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It was God's desire. It was God's plan. It was God pre, God's predetermined choice. And therefore, because this brings great pleasure to God, God has chosen that I would be a part of his family. We must also agree that God, and by the way, let me say this for the last point, okay? The next point, we only have two left. If God's will was so wonderful that he would choose before the foundation of the world that I would one day be adopted into his family, what, what more wonderful thing could any of us choose than to be a part of the family of God? What, what is there out there that we could desire more than that? To say, God is my heavenly father. Why? Because that was God's predetermined will for me. If that is so wonderful, and it is, and we can rejoice in the will of God, our adoption, and we do, why are people so afraid of the will of God today? It's so, it's so, it's such a concern of mine, especially when I talk to young people. It's hard to find anybody today as a Christian young person who really wants to know God's will for his life. To find a girl who could say, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? What is your plan for me? What do you want me to become? What do you want me to be like? What do you want my choices to be? I don't know why, but people today are afraid of the will of God. Like God's going to make some terrible mistake 
Like God's going to just delight in making you miserable the rest of your life. So you want to you figure it out on your own. You want to talk to your friends. You want to seek advice from everybody out there. And you want to do a whole lot of thinking about what is really fun and what is really enjoyable. And especially you want to think about how can I make a lot of money doing nothing? What's the least amount of work I can do to make the most amount of money to enjoy everything there is to enjoy out there in life and just be happy because that's what I want? Well, what about God? Well, he might mess things up. It might not turn out like I really want. And I could be miserable living someplace, doing something I had no desire to do. I think I can figure this out. I really don't need him. Are you serious? The same God who willed that you would be adopted into his family and all that involves and all that's involved in that. And you like that, you thank him for that, you can trust him with that, but you can't even trust him with the details of your life. You're not, you're not thinking right. You don't have this thing figured out. If I can help you, I'd sure love to. We must all agree also that God predetermined that our adoption be to the praise of the glory of his grace. Would you look at verse 6, 5 and 6 together? Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of what? His grace. He wants the focus to be on his grace. And we ought to thank him for that. Because you know what grace means? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace means we don't deserve it. I do not deserve to be in the family of God. I deserve to be in Satan's family on the way to hell. And so do you. If we all get what we deserve, it's not a pretty picture. But God in his mercy, God in his love... God in his will and God in his grace has said, I know what Larry deserves, but I have different plans for him. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to convict him of his sins. I'm going to show him his need for a savior. And I'm going to show him my provision of the savior in my son, who he is and what he has done. And I'm going to give him saving faith and bring him into my spiritual family. That's a wonderful thing. We ought to say, thank you, Father. Here's my life. Here's my time. Here's my talents. Here's my money. Here's my strength. Here's my everything. It's just the way it ought to be. Why? Because it's all of God's grace. If you know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, I think you do. Would you quote them with me, please, out loud together? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Did you hear? Did you think about that? For by, see, I love, I love those verses. Yeah, I love those verses. Do you really even know what they mean? For by grace are ye saved through faith. I think it's the last verse I want you to go to. If it's not, I'll make it the last verse. Would you go to Romans chapter 4? Romans chapter 4. When we think about our adoption, when we think about our new birth, when we think about our salvation, and all that we have as Christians, do not put the focus on me. Do not say it's because of who I am. It's because of what I chose. It's because of 
what I believe, although we do choose and we believe and we're accountable for our beliefs. I know that. But don't forget Romans chapter 4, the first four verses. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he, he hath whereof to glory, to boast, but not before God. For what does the Bible say? What saith the scriptures? The scriptures say Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. Look at verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. But verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It's all because of the grace of God. And then that last little phrase there in Ephesians 4. We don't have to go to any other verses. It's so self-explanatory. Go back to Ephesians 4, our text, verses 4 and 5 and 6. In love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, here's the look at the phrase, look, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Everyone must agree that all of this is all and only because of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of our spiritual blessings in this chapter and in the Bible, they all come to us because of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without him, there is no salvation. Without him, there is no adoption. Without him, there is no being born again. Without him, there is no heaven. There is no forgiveness. There is no eternal life. There is no God, my heavenly father, as my protector and my provider and the one who guides my wisdom, my steps. No, you can forget all that. But he says it's all because of, by, and in Jesus Christ. For having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. So where's all the glory go? Where's all the praise go? The Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads, please? Have you received Christ? Are you in Christ today? How Christ-like are you? How much have you been changed into the image of Christ right now? And then are you grateful for your adoption? Does it really show that you're thankful to God that he actually chose of his own will because of the person and work of Christ and to the praise of his glory that God would choose and predetermine that you would be a member of his family? while you live on earth, following your salvation, and then forever and ever and ever throughout all eternity. Are you living like a child of God? Do people around you know, know that you are in his family? I hope so. This message ought to be a huge encouragement to us today. But it also, it ought to be a big challenge. Because there's a lot of room for spiritual growth in Christ-likeness. And if we ever, ever get more Christ-like, it's going to come through the word of God 
the study, the reading, the memorizing, the preaching of the word of God that's going to come through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that we see in the word. As we do that, we're changed into the image of Christ. Our Father, I want to thank you for your word today. I know it's a simple message. I pray, Father, that we all get it, that we understand now this wonderful Bible doctrine, this teaching of predestination, and then this great truth, the subject of our adoption, being placed as sons in your family, and all that that involves and all that that promises. We give you thanks, and I pray today that every one of us in our lives, dear Lord, help us to live it out, live it out, that others might also be brought to Christ through our testimony, our witness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.